Next, this month's special series, Focus on Global Medicine. ReachMD is taking an in-depth look at how medicine is working toward health and longevity for people around the world. Join us all this month for the latest medical research and treatment across borders. Since the mid-1970s, all 50 states have afforded citizens an opportunity to donate their organs for transplantation after death, either by signing the back of their driver's license or through an organ donation card. Yet our supply of organs remains woefully short of demand for transplantation. What if we took steps, as many countries around the world have, to make organ donation near mandatory? You are listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to a special segment, Focus on Global Medicine. I am your host, Dr. Mark Nolan Hill, Professor of Surgery and Practicing General Surgeon. Our guest is Dr. Arthur Matus, Professor of Surgery and Director of the Renal Transplant Service at the University of Minnesota Medical School. Welcome, Dr. Matus. Hi, thanks for having me. Dr. Matus, I've read that as of earlier this year, we were approaching nearly 100,000 people on the United Network for organ sharing waiting list. Is that the case? That's correct. We actually crossed that threshold in October of this year. There are now over 100,000 people waiting for organs, and about 77,000 of those are waiting for kidneys. And what does that mean? That means they have renal failure and they're on a wait list waiting for a deceased donor transplant. Are there enough donors around to supply that many people? No, not for deceased donor kidneys. It's estimated that if every potential deceased donor in this country became an actual donor, we would never solve the problem. Well, what exactly is presumed consent? Right now, we have a system that says that if you sign a donor card or if your family gives permission, you can become a donor. Under this system, in order to become a donor, you have to be active. Presumed consent means unless you say you don't want to be a donor, that you would be a donor if you died under the appropriate circumstances. So it is presumed, if you don't do anything, it's presumed that you will go ahead and be a donor. Do a lot of countries have presumed consent? There are a few countries in Europe that do have presumed consent. But in practice, even with presumed consent, the organ donor coordinators usually approach the family anyway and make sure that it's okay. In other words, can a family veto the presumed consent if they wish? If the law is presumed consent, the family cannot by law veto it, but transplantation relies so much on public relations and public opinion that even though the family may not be legally able to veto it, in terms of public relations, I think most transplant centers would go along with the family's wishes. We don't have presumed consent here. We have a a situation with the donor card, so the opposite can happen here, and that is if somebody signs a donor card, the family could then refuse to donate under those circumstances. And there's a conflict because with the donor card, it has legal authority. And there's certainly been those situations that have arisen in the United States, and they've gone either way. Sometimes the family's wishes are ignored and the legal status of the donor card is given priority. Sometimes the family's wishes have given priority, but it does lead to a public relations issue if the family's wishes are ignored. Now, what troubles would you foresee us running into if we try to implement presumed consent here in the United States? I think the main concern with this is that people who don't read newspapers or aren't informed of this don't have the option 
of opting out just because they don't know. That's the real concern. I think all of these issues would be resolved by more education and, and an attempt to try and let people know more about the organ shortage. Saying that, there's still a segment of the population that these media appeals or whatnot would not reach. Another option is to, instead of doing something like presumed consent, is simply to do something like conscription, where you would simply try and change the culture so that everybody expected to be an organ donor if they died in a certain way. So in other words, you might say changing the name of presumed consent to uh, conscription? Well, you know, conscription really isn't just changing the name. That's really saying that it doesn't really give people the option to opt out. Presumed consent does give people the option to opt out. But just as there's a draft in a time of military need, one could argue that the organ shortage has reached such a crisis and that organ donation is such a good thing that we should consider a real change like this. But it would really require a change in our culture. How do you think the American people would respond to that? I think there would be an uproar and an outrage at the beginning. But again, I think this requires a major culture shift. We talk about allocation of organs every time we have a deceased donor kidney or organ to to try and give to someone on the list. I think we should change our terminology to rationing of organs because that's what we're doing. Every time we have an organ available, a kidney or a liver to transplant, somebody gets it, but a lot of other people don't get it. I really think we need a culture shift if we realize that we're rationing these life-saving transplants people might sort of edge more towards agreeing to be donors or undertaking a policy such as presumed consent or conscription. Now, it's been said that Spain has the best cadaveric procurement rates in the world. Your comments on that? I think that's true, and they do have a presumed consent law. It's difficult to know how much of their organ donation rate is because of the presumed consent law or how much of it is because they've invested a lot of money in the infrastructure. They have physicians in all the major hospitals who are actually transplant coordinators who really try and talk up organ donation and who are in the hospital and available if anyone wants to consult about organ donation. And it may be that investment in the infrastructure that is as important as the presumed consent law. If you have just joined us, you are listening to a special segment, Focus on Global Medicine. I am your host, Dr. Mark Nolan Hill, and our guest is Dr. Arthur Matus, Professor of Surgery and Director of the Renal Transplant Service at the University of Minnesota Medical School. We're discussing a global perspective on organ donation. Dr. Matus, one country, Austria, even procures organs over a family veto. Now, you mentioned before that this would not even be a consideration in the United States, but why would a country like Austria have this law? I think all of us are trying to find a way to increase the number of organs. The fact is that in the absence of these transplants, people are suffering and dying. Although, in general, I don't think this would happen in many situations in the United States. There certainly are situations where an individual has signed a donor card, and yet the family objects. Within the law, the organs can be retrieved and used for transplant. My only concern is that when that happens, it does lead to the family being upset and a real public relations issue. Saying that, I know that's happened in the last two or three months because there was exactly as I described, a newspaper article about how the family was upset when the organs were used 
again, with the donor's permission, but with the family's objections. Why do you think that there are so many people who would not want to be organ donors? I think that's an extraordinarily difficult question. The majority of people in surveys do want to be organ donors, and the majority of people and families who are approached for organ donors do agree. In the United States, it's well over 50%, and I believe close to 70% who agree, but need to realize that the United States is a whole group of different cultures, some of which may have some religious reasons for wanting to be buried whole. Others, I think, are afraid of physicians and afraid that if they say yes to organ donation, death will be hastened. Obviously a misconception, but I think a real one that we have to deal with. And I think there are a variety of other similar issues, each of which adds to, at least in a small way, uh, to the number of families who say no. What about donation across international boundaries? Any issues here? I think there are all sorts of issues with donation across international boundaries, but I guess I need to know specifically what you're worrying about. I mean, there are patients from other countries who are on waiting lists in the United States because they don't have transplants available to them in their home country. It's a small percent, but it certainly is part of many centers' waiting lists. How do they fit on the list here in the United States? They get the exact same priority ranking as anyone who has the same disease. By law in the United States, any transplant center is allowed to have about 5% of their waiting list be people from outside the United States. And the argument for that is that if a tourist or someone from outside the United States dies in the appropriate manner for organ donation in the United States, those foreigners who give consent, their organs are used for people on the wait list in the United States. So it's a trade-off. But as I say, it's less than 5% at any one center. Let's talk about stem cells. How close are we to using this as a way to help our problem? I think stem cells are an answer for a number of situations, but not solid organ transplantation. Certainly, they're coming along as an answer for bone marrow transplantation. The problem with organ transplantation is the organs are composed of different types of cells from different lineages, and each of these types needs to interact in a very specific way. So it'll be a long time before we can grow organs from stem cells. I know many of us like to be curious about where this list is. Is this a statewide list for receiving organs, or is it a national list, or how is it exactly set up? The list that we've talked about with the 100,000 people waiting on it is a national list, and that is set up in a way that there is a computer registry in Richmond, Virginia, and so all listed patients and all donors are managed through the United Network for Organ Sharing, which has a government contract to do that. Within that overreaching umbrella, there are a number of networks that are locally based, locally can be statewide or region-wide or in some large states, there is more than one of these networks within the same state. Once you're on the list and if your medical condition becomes very compromised, does that push you up on the list and give you greater priority? It depends on what organ you're talking about. So for liver or heart or lung transplantation, your degree of sickness in part determines your priority on the list. For kidney transplantation, in which we have dialysis as a backup, your medical condition, uh, unless it's truly an emergent condition like there's no vascular access left, um, does not change your priority on the list.
Well, how do you uh, keep physicians just from fudging a little bit in terms of uh, describing their patient to possibly move their patients up a few notches? Well, for kidney transplantation, as I say, the list is not based on medical urgency. It's based on the match between the donor and the recipient and the length of time the person's been waiting. And that's clearly, those are clearly documentable things that are easy to make sure that people aren't fudging. And for liver transplantation, for example, there are very hard uh, uh, measurements like serum creatinine level or coagulation studies, which uh, can easily be cross-checked if uh, regulators want to cross-check this. What about living donors for renal transplantation? Living donors, to my mind, are the right answer for everybody who's on the list for renal transplantation, in part because if you have a living donor, you can get transplanted much quicker, and in part because the results are much better. So my answer to the organ shortage for kidney transplantation is increasing living donation by a trial of incentives for donors. Are people generally in favor of living donation? Again, I think it depends on what part of the country one goes to because the rates of living donation seem to vary in different areas of the country. The percent of living donors at any one transplant center across the country can vary from, say, 20% to 60%. And I think that over the years, more and more people have become in favor of living donation. Again, as the organ shortage has increased and we've recognized that deceased donation will never solve the problem. Is there a significant disparity between insured and uninsured care? I can only answer that for kidney transplantation um, and because it's the one I'm most familiar with. And in this country, the government has basically stated that they will cover the cost of treatment for end-stage renal failure. So both dialysis and transplant are covered by Medicare uh, within this country. When one gets to extra-renal organs, uh, such as liver or heart uh, or lung, I I believe that you find more of a discrepancy between uh, those uh, with and without uh, insurance. I want to thank our guest, Dr. Arthur Matus. We've been discussing a global perspective on organ donation. I'm Dr. Mark Nolan Hill, and you have been listening to a special segment focused on global medicine on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Be sure to visit our website at ReachMD.com, featuring on-demand podcasts of our entire library. And thank you for listening. You've been listening to this month's special series, Focus on Global Medicine. For a program guide and a complete list of shows, please visit us at ReachMD.com.